invited to join the procession over to Children's Chapel. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. My first year in seminary, I took an elective course that scared the bejesus out of me. It wasn't a class on the deep questions of theology debating the nature of God. The course was called Evangelism Practicum. And the word evangelism makes many Episcopalians nervous. I'm aware that this is one of those sermons where the preacher is preaching to himself as much as to the congregation. I'm one of those Episcopalians who has always liked to misquote St. Francis of Assisi, who supposedly once said, preach the gospel always, only when necessary use words. (laughs) The word evangelism makes many Episcopalians nervous. We are, after all, the polite, civilized Christians. Christians like us tend to treat Jesus as if the name is a dirty word. We would never do something so vulgar as to tell our neighbors about Jesus. We don't use the name in public. The class was evangelism practicum. So it wasn't even theoretical. We weren't there to talk about the weather and why of evangelism. We were there to do it, to practice. We were sent into the city of Washington, D.C. to have conversations. Our assignment was simple. Talk to people about Jesus, random strangers, people we didn't know. We were to take notes on these conversations and then come back to class to report our progress. So not only did we have to talk with strangers about faith, about God, about Jesus, we had to let our classmates critique those conversations. The assignment made me uncomfortable, but not quite as uncomfortable as some of my fellow seminarians. Despite the professor's repeated reminders that our conversations were to happen outside the seminary community, every week someone submitted a report of a chat they had with another future priest. How is that evangelism, the professor would ask. I decided to lean into my discomfort and to try and chat with strangers on the metro, DC subway, at a bar, waiting in line for the coffee shop downtown. I knew my discomfort was a problem. If priests-to-be were so uncomfortable talking about faith that they could only do so on the safe grounds of the seminary or inside the walls of the church, our denomination didn't have a prayer for reaching the unchurched. How could we inspire our congregations to speak about Jesus if we were so uncomfortable? I did not walk away from the class a a master evangelist. I still get uncomfortable talking about faith, especially when I do not know the convictions of the person with whom I am speaking. But that semester of leaning in, taking the assignment seriously, talking to people, random people, about faith, It reshaped my own sense of Jesus the teacher and what he expected of his disciples. Today's gospel is a story of call, perhaps one of the most famous, and a story that, if you're like me, might make you nervous. 
follow me and I will make you fish for people. Some of you may still hear the old words of the King James in the background, I will make you become fishers of men. Let's pause for a second with Jesus' well-known image. Fishers for people. Jesus proposes to thoroughly change the life of these young men. He wants them to leave what they know, to leave behind their family and an honest living, to come and follow him, and to help him grow a movement. Our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, speaks of our church using that language, movement. We are the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement, he likes to say. Bishop Curry is our first black presiding bishop, and his way of talking about Jesus challenges some Episcopalians. As much as he is an Episcopalian, Bishop Curry is also a product of the black church. His sermons sometimes go on for 20 or 30 minutes. (laughs) But more than the length, it is the content that challenges If we are part of of movement, like Andrew, like Simon, like James and John, the movement's growth depends at least in part on us. We are invited to become fishers for people. I confess to you all that I still have a hard time identifying with those early followers of Jesus, those early women and men that built a movement that continues in our day. Evangelism to strangers, gathering in crowds of new Christians, it makes me a little skittish. But if I can't quite identify with those early followers, today's lessons also give us a counterexample. If I'm a little nervous trying to be like Andrew or John, maybe I can be motivated, maybe I can motivate you simply. Don't be like Jonah. Jonah is a whole different kind of fish story. God wants to get word to the city of Nineveh, and he calls Jonah, but Jonah does not want to go there. Before we get to our lesson today, and you know the story well, Jonah tries to run away, even to escape across the sea to Tarshish. God intervenes with a storm. God is serious about getting God's word out. Jonah is thrown overboard and he's swallowed by a whale, all because he does not want to talk to the people of the city about God. There in the belly of the whale, Jonah resolves to do what God commands. So the whale spits Jonah out and the preacher heads to Nineveh to proclaim the message of the Lord. Don't be like Jonah. Don't avoid talking about God especially if you have a sense that you might be called to do so. If you have a hunch that a friend, a neighbor, a family member might be struggling with faith, with doubt, with loneliness, don't run away. God relies on human beings to speak with one another, to talk about the hard things. God does not want us to leave one another alone. God sometimes speaks through faithful, loving, listening friends. You may have a word of hope your neighbor desperately needs. Don't be like Jonah. Jonah isn't just a bad example for his attempt to run away. Once in Nineveh, Jonah enjoys the work he had been avoiding. He likes telling people that they are doomed by God. 
But God's word does not have the effect that Jonah hopes. In some other verses missing from our text today, Jonah sets up a little stand to watch as God's wrath will come down on Nineveh, but the fire and brimstone never arrive. As we read in today's lesson, it turns out that God is not as strict a judge as the preacher. The people in the city repent. They are saved. Jonah is a farce, intentionally so. Like all the farces, those stories meant to teach and challenge us, Jonah is an exaggeration of human nature. Sometimes it takes a caricature to point out a problem. I wonder how often God's people silently judge their neighbors. I know that I sometimes do. Judgment comes in all of the old forms. My neighbor is too worldly to become a person of faith. My cousin isn't smart enough to really understand my advanced version of Christianity. My colleague is just too bigoted to embrace the diversity my church values. I confess to you, I've privately thought versions of every one of those pronouncements. I've often also made a more subtle judgment. My friends don't need an active relationship with God. Who does these days? In my judgments, I often behave like Jonah. Don't behave like Jonah. What Jonah misses is how ready the people of the city are for God's words. They are eager. They are hungry. They are even ready to repent. When we choose to hide our faith, when we don't talk about our relationship with God, we ignore the possibility that someone near to us is hungry for God's love, hungry for Jesus, hungry for redemption and good news. This week I read a profound letter written by a friend from seminary, someone who wasn't in that evangelism class. If he had been, I'm sure I would have learned from him. The Reverend Sandy Webb wrote to the college students from his congregation, also called the Church of the Holy Communion in Memphis, Tennessee. The occasion of his letter was the tragic death of one of their former youth group members, a college freshman, in a motorcycle accident this week. He wrote to comfort the young man's friends. Among other words of advice, he said this. We all need to stay connected with a community of faith. When I arrived at Jackson's house, the young man, on Saturday morning, the driveway was filled with friends, scraping ice, and the kitchen was filled with people bringing food. Many were from church. In death, Jesus promises us that he will prepare a place for us in his Father's own house. In life, he promises that we will never have to be alone. Many young people take a break from their church experience during their college years and then come back to it when they are ready to settle down or establish their families. I encourage you to chart another course. By stitching yourself into a community of faith when the times are good, you make an investment in having a community to support you when times are bad. How many of the people around us could use a good and faithful community? How many people could use the love, the support, the prayers? For how many people has the community of faith ceased to be a support. I wrote in our weekly email this week about the strange paradox we face as an American society. 
sociologists point to two strangely contradictory trends. As a people, we are more committed than ever. We have more appointments, more hours of work, more social engagements than ever. Simultaneously, people report feeling alone more than at any point before in human history. We are over busy and we lack real human connection. Satra famously said, hell is other people. And it can feel that way when you are surrounded by people who do not know you, do not help you know that you are loved, cared for, that you matter. I believe Jesus' movement offers a different relationship with other people. Follow me, I will make you fishers of people. The Jesus movement needs people persons. The Jesus movement needs leaders who will reach out, build community, help to stitch people into the kind of relationships where they can hear the words, you are valued, you matter, you are loved. That message is truly the good news God has for us. The word evangelism makes some of us refined Episcopalians nervous. For the sake of our neighbors, dare we set aside our nerves. There are people in this city who are lonely, who feel unloved. There are so many people in this city who have never heard a word of good news from the church. There are so many who have been told by religion that they are less than, sinful and broken. Where is the good news? In those weeks on assignment, talking with strangers, I was surprised again and again. I was most surprised when I stopped trying to stumble over my own words, and I asked questions about faith of the people I met. When I asked about a stranger's experience about their life, their family, their faith, and their doubts, I was often amazed by the stories I heard. Almost no one I spoke with was offended when I mentioned my faith. In the moments when I was able to say something articulate, they were few and far between, but in those moments, when I was able to say something about how I believed God loves all people, all people, how my church was trying its best to push back against injustice, to heal hurt, people didn't resist. I was surprised again and again by how eager folks were to talk about a faith that was humble, generous, and loving, a faith that included queer people, worked for racial reconciliation, valued women's leadership, and so on. I was surprised by the hunger of our world, the hunger our world has for that kind of faith, for the kind of faith we try in our branch of the Jesus movement. Evangelism is risky. When we choose to listen, to really listen to the stories of our neighbors, and when we choose to speak about how we've known God's love in our own lives, we risk opening ourselves up. We risk vulnerability. We risk holding out words of hope and faith. Those are risks worth taking. We might stumble upon the good news God has for us and for our neighbor. We might even end up together in a movement, a movement that has the power to change our world, a movement that has the power to change our lives. Jesus said to them, follow me. Amen.